You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, this morning we began last week talking about the idea of Advent. We begin our Advent focus. And Advent means coming or arrival. And each year we take these weeks that lead up to Christmas, we kind of pick a focus to where we think about, remember the birth of the promised child, the Messiah. And last week I introduced the idea that we are in between the two Advents, as Brad had mentioned. There's the coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, but we also anticipate Jesus' coming again at his second Advent. But I noticed something interesting is that as we sit between the two Advents, we also sit between two large family meals that we eat way too much. We have Thanksgiving, and then we have the big Christmas meal, and we sit in between these two big meals. But there's once that was said about something about interesting about meals, is that you become like the people you eat with the most. That you become like the people that you spend the most time sitting around a table enjoying a meal together. Those are the people that you will be most like. And so what we decided to do was look deeply into four meals that Jesus had with people and then how their lives were changed because of that interaction. And last week we looked at the very familiar story of Zacchaeus. And yes, if you were not here, you missed my solo vocal performance that I let us all in, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And so we saw this this hated tax collector that was despised by so many people, but how his life changed once he met Jesus. And I often wondered, whatever happened with little bitty Zacchaeus? You know, I mean, whatever happened? And you know, we look through Scripture and it's just silent about what happened to that wee little man that climbed up in the, the sycamore tree. But this week's studying, I looked back and I found a in church history a man named Clement. He was a bishop in Alexandria, and this is what he says about Zacchaeus, and it was interesting. It says, Zacchaeus continued faithfully in the growth and the nurture of the Lord and served Christ to the end of his life, even becoming a bishop in Caesarea. I mean, what a total life change it was for Zacchaeus. And I want you to know, there is nothing in this life, it seems like, more exciting than watching a person dead in their sins come to life in Christ and then follow him for the rest of their life. I mean, there is nothing that is more exciting than that. And so today we're going to look at another meal, and get this, with another tax collector. You're there in Matthew chapter 9, as you can read the titles We're going to be talking about Matthew. But before we walk through these verses, there is just something about human nature that we all do and we all use. We like to divide people into categories. We like to take people and we size people up and we create categories to put people in. Sadly, we all have, we could call these prejudices, that we divide people by race. And if we're really honest, we know we can hear a story on the news or something that happens, and one of our first questions will be, oh, I wonder what color they are. 
And we put people in these categories because we believe we can determine and we can anticipate what's going to happen. Or we might divide by education. Those that have gone to college and those that have not. We might even divide by economic status, the haves and the have-nots. We might divide by schools. We might even divide people by the activities they are in. And what happens is that we tend to associate with people that are in the same categories that we are. And what we're going to see today is that dividing people into categories is, is nothing new. And my hope is that we would leave today, we would walk away, and that we would only see people in two categories. That doesn't matter anything else, there are only two categories, nothing more. So let's begin in the book of Matthew, verse 9. Now I want to show you a couple of important things. First of all, Matthew is going to record and actually talk about himself. And I don't know why I wasn't thinking about this early in the week. I, I was reading, I was studying, and it dawned on me, wait, this is Matthew talking about himself. So in so many ways, it's an autobiography. Matthew does something else different a lot of times. So that Matthew is not recorded chronologically. So he wasn't an accountant. I'm, I'm sorry, he wasn't that type of person. He, he didn't follow things as they should. He, he grouped them, and he was more artistic. He grouped them into themes and settings and activities, and he put things in his gospel according. He doesn't follow a timeline. Another thing he does, he's going to record something very interesting that we're going to look at today. In fact, it's his own personal account of his conversion to faith in Christ, that we are going to read about a man that's actually writing about himself. And what is so interesting is how few details he's actually going to give us. In fact, we're going to read it as one verse. It's 30 words. We're going to read it, and it's just, it's very simple. It is very plain. You'd almost read it, and it almost seems like there is no emotion in it whatsoever. But what he does, he's going to place his own conversion between two things. Remember how we saw this last week, how important to look what comes before, what comes after. He places his life-changing meal with Jesus right after Jesus has healed a leper. He has calmed the storm. He has cast out demons from two men that sent them into the pigs. He's healed the paralytic man that they busted a, a hole in the roof and lowered him down. And he blows their minds when, first of all, he comes into contact with a leper because that was against the law. And then... To those that were the religious elite, he says the words to the man, the paralytic man, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And he sends those Pharisees over the edge because they say, how could you do this? Well, what Matthew wants us to see is that Jesus was beginning to show that he has power over sins and is in fact God, and then we get his conversion. Then he goes Right after his conversion, Jesus, it's that time where he's questioned about the fasting. They say, why do you not fast in your disciples like everybody else? And he gives us that really interesting word picture of the new wine in the old wineskins, that they couldn't hold the wine. And these two stories that, that book in his conversion have a lot to do with his life-changing meal with Jesus. So beginning now in verse 9. Here it is, his conversion, 30 English words. It's very simple. It is so plain, and you read it, and it's almost as if there is no emotion. It says, and as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, meaning he, called, he saw me. 
sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, or I, stood, or I rose, and I followed him. I mean, how simple and plain that is 30 words. Jesus says, rise up and follow me. But why does Matthew only give us these 30 words? It's very simple. It's very plain. It's almost as if there is no emotion about it whatsoever. Why would he put these amazing things on either end of his conversion? I'm going to jump to the interior. This is why I think he does this. Studying this week, I believe Matthew does this because he does not want this to be about him. He doesn't want us to get distracted by him. He wants us to see He wants us to see that it really is about the one that came and called him. You know, I've talked to a lot of people over the years that have just said, you know what, man, I just don't have one of those dramatic, life-changing experiences. Man, Matthew did, but he keeps it so simple. And I would say to you, if you feel that's you, I would say, yes, you do. He called and you followed. But he does this because it is not about him. It is about the one that called him. So we have here Matthew as this tax collector. If you remember back to last week, what would happen, these men would go into certain areas and you would basically be working for Rome and he went in and you would bid on the amount of taxes you felt you could collect in your area. Then you would go outside the area where people would bring their goods in and you would set up shop. And we see here that Matthew is sitting at his booth that he is a tax collector by trade, and Matthew is also a Jew. So much like Zacchaeus, he was despised by his fellow people. They saw him as a traitor because he went and he worked for Rome, and then he was then taking money out of your own pocket and giving it to those that oppressed Israel. And he was looked at as a traitor. I mean, can you imagine what it was like growing up as Matthew, that your only friends were also fellow tax collectors, that they had a common bond that they shared, and that bond was basically they were hated by everyone else, and they were kind of social outcast. And so Jesus walks to the end of town, and he finds this Matthew sitting in his booth, and notice what Jesus does. Jesus walks up to Matthew, and he says, follow me. And we are not told about any prior knowledge that Matthew had of Jesus But I tend to think if Matthew is writing it about himself, that if he had had something, he probably would have included it. But he wants us to know it is as simple as this. Jesus walked up to my booth. He looked at me and he said, follow me. And I stood up and I followed. And thinking about Jesus, standing on the other side of that booth, it would have been so different than just me or you, you and I would have been standing there and we would have been looking at a man that we didn't like, we despised, we might have even hated. We'd been looking at a fellow Jew and we'd be thinking, how did you ever get to that place that you are sitting there working for the enemy? I mean, did your mama not teach you any better? I mean, we would have been looking at him and we would have seen everything about him that we despised and we hated. But Jesus, as he often lived counterculturally, Jesus looked with different eyes. And I want to read, and this is, this is a long quote, and I know that, but it's by Charles Spurgeon, and let this just sink in. Thinking of Jesus looking at Matthew, Christ probably 
stopped opposite where Matthew was sitting. And looking at him, he saw all the sin that had been in him. And all the evil that still remained in him. He saw a man named Matthew. Christ was, has a searching look. A discerning look. A detecting look. He looked Matthew up and down. And he saw all that was in him. All that was secret to others was manifest before his piercing eyes. He saw a man named Matthew. And I believe that Jesus saw more in Matthew it was actually really in Matthew. What I mean is that his love looked goodness into Matthew. And then he saw it. His love looked grace into Matthew. And he saw it. So those 30 words that we saw in Matthew's conversion. This is Matthew's experience of salvation. Jesus looked at me and I followed him. Matthew stood up. And he followed. Jesus' command is still the same to us today. He says, follow me. And you know then what happens? Some time passes. We don't really know how long. We don't really know what is going on. But we now see an encounter after that conversion into faith. That moment that Jesus stepped into his life. And this is where we see the meal. Look at verse 10. And as Jesus was reclining at the table... In the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So at some point in, in their new relationship, Jesus and his disciples, they, they go into his, his home. And Matthew is there and they're reclining at the table and he is sharing a meal with other tax collectors and sinners. Because remember, who would Matthew's friends be? Who would even accept an invitation to come and hang out with Matthew it was tax collectors. But I, I would need us to understand what this setting would have been like. It's so different than it'd be you inviting me over at your home and we maybe go into your dining room or off to your kitchen and, and we sit around a table in our chairs and you give me your spa, my, my space and I give you enough and we have just enough room that we're comfortable and we sit around. But it would be very different. In this setting, you would come in and there would be a low table to the ground. It would be very tight quarters. You would, you would simply come in between two people and you would lay on your elbow with your feet away from the table and you would be sandwiched in between two people leaning with one here and one behind you. It was a very intimate setting. And it says that Jesus is sitting here with this time in this meal in between people. Because remember, the evening meal was the center of the life of a family. And at the close of your day, it was the biggest meal. You would sit, you would eat, you would drink, you would talk, you would pray until it was time to go to bed. But notice who is there. Jesus and the disciples were following him at the time. And Matthew and other tax collectors, and it says, and sinners. Because if you're a Matthew and you're going to throw a dinner party, who is going to come? It's going to be people that were just like him, social outcast. But he uses the word here, sinners. This could mean one of two things. The first one is it could mean people that just didn't follow the, the strict ceremonial sacrificial laws as everybody else. And if you didn't do it, you were considered a sinner. The other one would be somebody that we would think needs to be locked up, that they have, they have created and they have done a crime that was against law and against man. 
And so here's Matthew. He is with other tax collectors, other social outcasts, other people that were hated. He is probably sitting with people that were sinners in the state that they had done something against someone else. And Matthew invites them. And he is there with fellow tax collectors and he is there with people that have broken the law. Now why is this important? It's important to remember that because for you to share a meal with someone, for you to share a meal with other people, is you were identifying yourself with them. And here is Jesus sitting among tax collectors and among sinners. So Jesus was identifying himself as one of them, as a tax collector, as a sinner. Probably one that, yes, he did not follow the, the same ceremonial sacrificial laws, but he also was identifying with people that have broken the laws against the land. And look at what it says in verse 11. Because this doesn't set well with everyone. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Just remember I said we love to divide people into groups. The Pharisees were masters at this. And these were the, the professional God-fearers. These were people that followed the ceremonial sacrificial laws to a T. And they were very careful where they went and who they ate with and what they said. And the reason why is that they believed this. They believed that they could be contaminated by something that came inside them, by they ate something, and they could be contaminated just by coming into contact with people that did not follow their own ways. And they were trying to protect themselves, to remain holy and pure, so that they felt that then they could go into the temple and worship. And they were going in almost like, I would say it this way, it was almost like a germ. Some of you get sick, you can pass that germ on to someone else because you can become infected by it. And they believed that just by coming in contact with someone that was considered a sinner would somehow infect them and make them unworthy to be able to go into the, the temple. So here are the groups they saw. They saw the religious. That was them. And they saw sinners. And they fought hard to make sure they stayed in that religious group. Notice what they do. When they hear this, and they never would have gone into Matthew's home, and it says that they saw. Now, they could have seen or they could have heard what had went on. And do you notice what they do? These Pharisees, these religious elite, notice what they do when they are offended. And I'm sure they really cared about Jesus in this point. But they were offended, and notice who they go to. They go to the disciples. They do not go to Jesus. Now, I want to pause for just a moment and say and remind us of something. That we all, we all must fight for unity. Because you, you're not going to like everything that goes on. You're going to have certain preferences. I, I do at times. We're going to at times get our feelings hurt. And we will be offended by someone or something because we're family. And that's what happens when you're in a family. I, I remember back growing up in church, and uh, if you were around in church even in the late 80s and maybe the early 90s, it was, it was the battle was always the worship war. 
It was whether you sang out of a hymnal or as my son calls it, a Bible with, with songs in it. Um, that's what we, we chose to fought about, that it was this or it was that. And men, you've known, you've seen churches divide and split over because they could not agree on the type of music they could sing that would bring praises to the king of kings. And they allowed that to divide them. And what I'm saying is that we have to always be very careful. And I'll say this, you know, Drew and the team Man, they do an incredible job of planning and leading. And Drew is my, and he is our worship leader. And he, he agonizes at times over what to sing and, and how to do that. And how do we bring people along? And how do we reach people? And how do we sing things that are engaging and truthful? And man, it is a hard thing to do. But if we experience a difficult situation or a problem, Scripture tells us that we are to go to that person and work it out. Not go to others and and bear our grievances that we are to go and to fight for unity. Now look at what happens when the words reach Jesus. And this is great. Verse 12 and 13. And when he had heard it, those, and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, Go and learn what this means. And he's talking to the Pharisees. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now Jesus does some really cool things here. First of all, he says, go and learn these things. And when he's talking to these Pharisees, what he is doing First of all, he is treating them as if they are learners and not teachers. He says, you know what? You have a need to go and learn. And to a Pharisee, that would have been extremely insulting because they prided themselves on knowing more than anyone. And second, Jesus is saying that they need to go back as beginners and learn the Scriptures correctly because they have missed it. And that is one thing you never would say to a Pharisee, because they built their lives on it. By this time, they would have had the entire Old Testament at that time memorized. They believed, they knew it. And then Jesus ties it back to a physical health to make a point. He's talking about well and sick. Because remember, Matthew has already been building us into this. He talked about the healing of the leper. He talked about the healing of the lame man. He talked about the healing of Peter's mother. And Jesus is showing that them that they are deathly sick. But the problem is, is that they don't realize it. I mean, what do you mean I'm sick? I'm not running a fever. I feel fine. They were so sick and they did not even realize it. And Jesus is about to lay out his mission for them, which is this his mission is to those who realize they're sick. Only sick people need a doctor, is what he's saying. And the Pharisees, they did not think they were sinners. They did not believe they were sick, so they never sought the Lord, as we would call him the great physician. But Jesus' mercy and grace is to anyone who recognizes their need. So here's another point of application for we need to live with a constant awareness of our need for Jesus. I mean, does our, do our lives reflect everything that we are doing, that we reflect that I am in need of Him at this moment for something? Because here's the truth. We can become blinded 
to our constant need of Jesus. And when that happens, we fall into the mindset of being the Pharisees. Because you know what happens? The times I'm most judgmental, the times that I'm most harsh, the times I'm most cruel, are when I'm not realizing that I am in need. I mean, have you ever stopped to think about why there really is Christmas? I mean, it's not just so we get together and we get to celebrate and coo over a cute baby. The reason there's a Christmas is because of our own sin and rebellion against a holy God. And so, yes, it's a beautiful day. There's great anticipation. We love getting together, especially if you have kids and all the anticipation that comes on. The family comes together. You open presents. You eat and all of those things. And we take it as a great day. And yes, it is. But the need of that, there is no beauty in that at all. There is only Christmas because of our sin and rebellion has separated us from the one that created us. And God had to become a man to save a man. It is our need. Notice what he says. He says, go and learn two things. Jesus says he desires something and not something else. You see what he desires? He desires mercy and not sacrifice. Now, what does he mean here? Mercy means this. Mercy means to embrace the acts of being generous, being giving, being forgiving and having compassion and providing healing of every kind. And he says, that is what I am after. But the Pharisees have placed people into categories. What they have done, they placed in this category that they were above others. They created these categories And they say, you know what, you're in this category and we're in this category, but since we're in this category, it makes us here. And we want to make sure that we don't get too close because we don't want you infecting what we have been working towards. But Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. He says, I don't want the sacrifice. And what he meant by sacrifice is the faithfulness to the sacrificial laws. Because you could do all the right activities. You could do all the right things and still miss it. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They'd done a lot of things, thinking it gets them to a place, and they'd miss it. So hear me, church. Our activities can never appease God. Our efforts will never be good enough to fix our problem. Our service and our attendance do not keep us on God's good side. The only thing that accomplishes all of these things is confessing our sin and need of a Savior. And when that happens, you know what will happen? If that truly happens for you, you will have mercy for other people. But the Pharisees, they saw two groups, themselves as the righteous and everyone else as sinners. And the problem is that they had it all wrong. They were sick And they did not recognize their need for Jesus. And they saw themselves as well. But I want to close with this. Jesus sees groups of people too. The first group is like Zacchaeus and Matthew. Where Jesus has broken into their lives and brought a newness that their old life cannot contain. That's why Matthew closes up his conversion with the new wine skin, the new wine and the old wineskins. He says, you know what? Jesus steps across your booth. Your old life cannot contain it any longer. The second group, Jesus sees are those that are resisting that newness. So I want to draw up the final point of application here that I've thought a lot about. I've, I've examined my own life. 
You know, the Pharisees were afraid of getting too close to sinners because they were afraid they would be infected by them. But Jesus ate with people so that he could infect them with his grace and mercy, not the other way around. I mean, they were worried about sin coming in and reflecting their religious status. And Jesus was there to infect them with his grace and mercy. You know, as a church... We need to be about the same business of grace and mercy to those outside these walls and those inside these walls. You know, one of our core values is growing communities. And that is much more than getting people together that, that just, just have a good time and share some common values and enjoy life together. We want to create communities where people's old lives are met with a newness that comes only in Jesus Christ. Meaning we want to build communities so that we all become more Christ-like. And we call that sanctification. And this cannot happen apart from you being involved in other people's lives. Scripture talks about a lot of different ways. It talks about iron sharpening iron. But what happens is when you come into close proximity to other people and you open up yourselves and they open up themselves to you, there are things that are going to happen. It will not always be pretty. But in order for sanctification to happen, we must get close enough to people and we must let people in. Because what will happen is that if you are here long enough, there will be things that others will see about you and you will see about them that's not pretty. And listen, I hope, I hope that that happens. I hope you are here long enough that other people get to see a side of you that you don't want other people to see. Because here's why. There have been times in my own life where I have come face to face with my sin and I wanted to run. I just want to go somewhere else where I could start over and I could start fresh. But by the grace of God and nothing else, He kept me there. And I got to experience reconciliation with God and the people that I had hurt. Because we must fight for one another's faith, their purity, and their personal holiness. And we can only do this when we ourselves see our need for Jesus. And then we take that to other people's because, listen, sanctification is hard and it is painful because you have to let other people see a side of you that is not pretty. But the last thing that we need to do is run when those moments come. And I, I want to vow to you now as one of your leaders and I stand united with our elders that we want to say this, that we will do everything we can to model this and to lead us to make sure that when those moments of vulnerability and exposure happens, that you are met with grace and mercy. Because we're all sick. We're all infected by sin, and the only remedy is Jesus Christ. You know, we only need to see two groups of people. Those that have experienced Christ breaking into their lives and bringing a newness that their old life cannot contain. And the only other group are those that have not yet experienced that. There's only two groups. But you know, Jesus did not just come to sit 
down and eat with sinners. He, he did this with a purpose. He came and he sat down with them in order to break into their old lives to make a new life of mercy. And then Jesus looks goodness and grace into them. And he's done the same for me and I hope he's done the same to you that he has looked goodness and grace into you. And then we need to be about that ministry of helping other people experience it, that life-changing meal with that person. So I want to leave you with the final Advent thought as we look forward to that glorious and great morning of anticipation. That Jesus did not just sit down with us. He left his place in heaven and he became one of us as a baby. He then grew up and he took our sins as if they were his. And Jesus was not afraid to associate with us because he was coming to redeem us. There was no one that is beyond the mercy that came forth in the manger in Bethlehem. That God became a man to save a man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a morning of of Advent, a morning of communion, a morning of worship. And as we began this morning, that we come into this place with a lot of different emotions, a lot of different experiences, a lot of different things uh, coming with us. But you are the same God that can meet us in all of those places. So, Fathers, you met that Matthew on that road that you stood and you said, Follow me. And then like the other disciples that Matthew, he stood and he followed. Because Father, I'm thankful that you have called me. I'm thankful that you have called my wife and so many of my friends that you have called and they have answered in their obedience. And so Father, I pray for others that they would come to know you and that they would be able to experience that life-changing experience that happens where our old life can no longer contain it. And that then we would be about that same grace and mercy to other people. Father, we want this place to be a place where people can come, they can be honest, and that we could be close enough to each other that moments are going to come that it is not pretty. But it's in those moments where grace and mercy abound and that when we come on the other side, we are much more like your son than we were. So Father, thank you. Thank you for those painful moments where exposure has happened. But you have not left us. You meet us there with grace and mercy. And so, Father, it is in his name. By the power of your spirit, we Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.